programs and welcome to a millennial strikes back episode of the IWMP podcast my name is ian porter and i'm matthew porter he's my dad i'm his son and we watched the sequel because yeah last time we talked about tron one of my favorite movies but now we get to tr- talk about the thing i remember from my childhood of the tron franchise tron legacy so this, I think, might be a first where the uh, the original movie had a significant impact on my youth. And apparently the sequel had a significant impact on yours. Absolutely. Because uh, I remember distinctly you taking me to the midnight premiere. It's December 16th. I don't know what's going on, but you're telling me that there's something cool happening. And then, like, noon that day... I get the message from uh, relayed to me that, that you've secured us tickets to go see the premiere of Tron Legacy. And I go, <gasps> <laughs> and I immediately grab the DVD and my laptop because I'm going to go clean my room and watch the original Tron in preparation. And that's the moment where I didn't actually wind up sitting in my chair to watch the movie. <laughs> or I, cleaning your room. Or I cleaning my room. I just sat there staring at my laptop, watched the entire original Tron. And then we went and saw legacy. And that was like <laughs> an amazing day. It was way too cold out waiting for the movie outside the theater. And I don't think you noticed. I didn't notice. I kind of realized later. Oh, Wow. My hands hurt. It was cold out there, wasn't it? <laughs> but I was excited because this is absolutely something that was never expected. Tron Legacy came about because it was a cult classic in that sense. Yeah, Tron itself, not a spectacularly successful movie when it was released, but it did develop that kind of cult following over time. It, that high concept gave, gave it legs. It kept in people's minds... I think that the the people who were drawn to it got into it once they were there. And I think that with a little bit of distance and a little bit of time, the kinds of people who might be into this, but who were just too put off by its slapdash use of computer jargon and such, were more forgiving and relaxed a bit about that and had fun with it as a goofy metaphor. And not that I think it's goofy, but... I think that's also why it became more appreciated over time. Oh, yeah. People were not as as critical of it because, well, you know, computers were different in the 80s. By the time Legacy was coming out, we were well into the eras of, you know, graphical interfaces and the internet and all of that. So there was a, a tech nostalgia that added into it as well. And uh, we are the perfect example. People who... Really liked um, liked Tron when you know, they were young. Now had kids of their own who got way too excited about Tron. <laughs> but Tron Legacy is a very different story. 
very different. Extremely. It's, and I think you can appreciate Tron Legacy more if you recognize up front how different it is. Because I didn't at first. Yeah, you were not very happy with this because it wasn't a high fantasy story. It didn't have some of that same flavor in many ways. And there are some ways in which I still am critical of Tron Legacy compared to Tron. But there are other ways in which, having seen it a few more times, I understand what it was trying to do and how it wasn't trying to do all the same things that Tron did. And and I have come to accept it on its own terms a bit better. If if Legacy... If if the original was a a high fantasy uh, quest story, Legacy is a an action movie more more blatantly because it doesn't have some of the fantastical elements to some extent. It's more an espionage movie, yeah, than a an action quest movie. Mm-hmm. It's more conspiracy and machination, less find the holy weapon and smite the giant evil. Now, it it gets the benefit of the fact that there have been how many years for people to ruminate on the concept presented in Tron, and it's able to get away with a little bit of those who worry about this concept will have watched the original, and those who are just watching this for the first time are here for the action. And that means that it doesn't dive in as deeply to what's going on in the world of the the grid when it gets to there. And that means it has on our complex complex world, simple story, or complex story, simple world, it's allowed to assume the world is a little simpler because of right. pre-existing knowledge, and therefore its story gets deeper and more complex in that sense. Yeah, it goes to that Star Wars comparison I made in our last episode, where the original Star Wars weird complex world very simple, straightforward story. Later, Star Wars movies could get more complex, and you can argue whether they're good or not because of that, but they had room to become more complex because even the weird setting was now familiar to moviegoers. Mm-hmm. So, Tron Legacy follows the son of Kevin Flynn, and we get this little, like, what has happened after Tron story broken up through his backstory, because... Jeff Bridges, who is portrayed both by Jeff Bridges and CGI Jeff Bridges. Youngified. Youngified. Computer youngified Jeff Bridges. Which only really looks weird in the moment where it's supposed to be young Jeff Bridges in the real world. That's the only moment where it like it looks wrong to me. Right. Everything is a little bit skewed in the computer world, so you can accept that the fact that this young Jeff Bridges doesn't look quite right is... Correct. But we wind up seeing that uh, Kevin kind of moved NCOM into a, I want to call it a Microsoft-y direction with its large operating systems and such. He, 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 he reshaped the company, but got very invested in his side project that he didn't tell many people about until he just disappeared one day. Right. He was more and more absent from the company, less hands-on, and I don't know if it was him or others that made it more into this kind of monolithic, uh, high-priced operating system and and utility software company. But uh, that's definitely the direction it went until, as you say, he disappeared. He vanishes, 
his son, Sam, is left in the care of his grandparents and is left the heir to so much of the company, but is just watching as it is slowly corrupted back again. Yeah, and he doesn't really take any active interest in the company either. He is the majority shareholder. He plays pranks on his own company periodically, including like giving away its valuable software. But yeah, he doesn't seem to want anything to do with running the company. And even though he, he does have some input from his, uh, his father's best friend, Alan, played by Bruce Boxleitner. He's back. Tries to look in on the kid and, and keep him uh, um, on the right path, but there's only so much you can do now that the kid is, what, 28 years old or so? And driving a motorcycle recklessly through. A very cool Ducati. Very cool Ducati, very recklessly. In many ways, they very clearly show that this is a kid who grew up on Tron. His room is decorated in posters, anachronistic posters from the movie, but I guess about the games that Kevin made about what he knew in the world, which seems weird and Uh, ethically questionable if you know that this was a form of battle torture inside the thing, (laughs) so you made a better form of battle torture for the people. Yeah, that's a good point, because if you're programming a better, more intense light cycle video game and making thousands of copies of it to ship to arcades all over the world, how many? there are the entities inside each one of these arcade cabinets are people. Yeah. Yeah, so I, allow oh me my, to break your head for a Oh, moment. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because, yeah, obviously that's how he made the initial big boost of additional money for Encom was all these Tron-based video games. But you're right, every one of those. The whole conceit of Tron was the fact that inside every computer is this world and the programs are people. I'm going to assume wow. that there was a lot of of what to the rest of the industry looked like horrible spaghetti code underneath these but uh, to Kevin, it's a whole lot of extra routines and processes designed to safety. He's got he's got like entire pit crews of other programs that are there just to make sure that you know light cycles are a regulated, calmer thing for him. It looks messy to the to the programmers, but he knows on the inside that this is a bunch of support staff. Or or as the the being from the higher realm, he's getting not just Vedic, like I was saying before, but he's also getting rather Norse. Yeah. And that you shall do battle for the glory of, of your gods. <laughs> yeah. It, but it is weirdly dark if you think for a moment yeah. with that same mindset. It's like, oh, you yeah. just... Yeah. Uh, a little bit Gnostic here, too. Yeah, he's he's gotten... Uh, Tron has been merchandised out as a a franchise in this world under Encom's banner. And we got action figures. Sam has a, a tr- an action figure of Tron on his shelf. It's really Absolutely. cool. But this means that Sam Flynn, his dad disappears, but he's driving a bike around. I think that's because he's already been influenced by light cycles from an early age and such. He's, he's already got this in his mind. Like the audience, he's primed for the concept. And... He performs a heist on Encom to release their operating system that they were about to make a lot of money on early. And that goes right but awry at the very end. He makes his escape, but not effectively. <laughs> yeah, they, they set him up as somebody who's fearless, who has a lot of skills, 
but who still has a lot to learn. He's not the the person who starts out the story as the hyper competent hero, and it's any any story in which the the hero starts out as the hyper competent hero is probably going to be boring. So I'm glad they they gave him those kinds of flaws. And I I, I will say an excellent little moment from uh, Cillian Murphy as uh, Edward Dillinger, the son of the bad guy Dillinger from the other one, who's now a programmer at Encom. Yeah, I have a bit of a problem with that. Is Encom really going to hire the son of the person who quite possibly went to jail for falsifying data and and trying to take over Encom? I don't know about that. If you make a proper publicity stunt about how much this co- this kid does not have a connection with his father and that we give second chances at Encom because we don't we don't hold him responsible for the deeds of another you can make a PR case against it, but that's a whole other thing. You could, although at this meeting that's happening at Encom, the the chairman of Encom, who's not somebody we had ever met before, introduces this young Dillinger as like the son of one of Encom's most brilliant early programmers or something like that. So I, that actually adds to the it never went public and all of the um <laughs> and oh, that's all right. of the stuff was internal in terms of a uh a package to keep quiet and not sue us about it. We kept this quiet. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Dillinger stepped down for personal reasons and then left the company shortly after, citing <laughs> health, and never returned. His son joined up later, and there's a little bit of a faction war inside about uh, Flynn versus Dillinger, who's that's been going on since the since then now. But all of what happened after the events of Tron. Never left in Encom, I he, guess. He left his executive position to spend more time with his child processes. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, Sam Flynn then gets a message through, uh, I just want to call him Boxlighter. <laughs> Alan. Alan, uh, that is sourced to the old arcade. And follows it and a sequence of slightly convenient events involving a rolling coin towards the secret underground lab full of an old Encom server and an old Encom laser. <laughs> and but, one of those really cool glass desks with the integrated panel screen thing. Though these all seemed like they were a, um, a generation or, or more, oh, they, uh, they, uh, more advanced than what we saw in the laser bay at at Encom, this it, was a. It didn't take a, a warehouse sized uh, power system or anything. It was in a back room of the arcade, and he had this digitizing laser. Good point. He had a much smaller, more compact setup. It was I got the impression that this had been a priority for Kevin Flynn, and he was working on this technology and advancing it, independent of whether it was going to be a product. Yeah, this is a a pure passion project sort of scenario. But he'd made, but you know, Kevin Flynn had made these big, grand pronouncements about a pr- like a product plan, a, a new thing that would change the world. That you know, the destiny of humanity was inside the machine, and then vanished. And now Sam Flynn has found this old work lab, and very haphazardly, just like says, "Yeah, sure." Run laser.exe. <laughs> I mean, at very least, Kevin Flynn had the MCP decides to shoot me. Sam Flynn shoots himself here. 
And Kevin Flynn had told Sam the stories about the fact that he got into the ENCOM system and all of his adventures. I don't know to what extent Sam believed in the reality of these, or were these just a fairy tale that his father told them? He was captivated by them either way. I think he got more jaded about them as it went on. Uh, when he was little, he might have kind of believed them, like you'll believe any kind of a story, and then he realized that this was my dad spinning these fantasies that probably are what caused him to leave us all behind. Yeah. Okay. But Sam, just like his father, is pulled into the machine, and we get to see the new look of the grid. It's kind of dark. Yeah, the grid has gone from white with glowing blue aesthetic to black with glowing blue aesthetic. And I apologize. I prefer it. You prefer the, the Tron Legacy style? Absolutely. And before we even get to that, there's the fact that it's the grid. Yeah. In Tron, it was the system. And it was all inside the NCOM mainframe. And part of that was the gaming grid. Now, for some reason in Tron Legacy... The entire virtual world inside the computer is called the grid. Sort of. Occasionally, they talk about the whole thing as the grid. Occasionally, they talk about parts of it being off-grid. Mm-hmm. That seems similarly haphazard to some of their uses of jargon in the original. Now, they're just being haphazard about their uses of their own jargon. This is, once again, Ian covering for the movie. <laughs> oh, yes. Lay it on me. The gaming grid was built on a video game system, which had a graphical interface in order to display things for user interaction, unlike the rest of the system, which was pure command line. The, the, in the Tron Legacy, the entire world is built on a structure more akin to what the game's systems were, because it is all more optimized for probably a visual interface option or a visualizer in general, than the rest of it, therefore being a grid with a layout system instead of purely a text-based system login. Okay, okay, that makes some sense, especially when you consider that that brings us to another big change, which affects my opinion of the movie. This new computerized world into which Sam Flynn is pulled isn't the world inside an otherwise existing computer system. This is a virtual world inside a computer specifically built and designed by his father to be a, a virtual world experience. The well, the, well, welcome to the weirdest second life. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like second life. In the original, the conceit was, you may think it's just a computer with ones and zeros, but there's a whole world and all these programs are having adventures inside it. And we, have, we know nothing about it. In tron legacy yeah it's it's an advanced mmorpg it's designed to be a world it's not just a world that exists oh goodness tron legacy is an isekai <laughs> yeah i apologize i need to have a moment now uh, <laughs> but while ian recovers himself i want you folks to think about imagine a world imagine waking up transported from your world into this strange fantasy realm in which isekai stories have not taken over all of anime for years and years. Unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, my word. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, shonen protagonist Sam Flynn here uh, is, just like his father, found uh, wandering around. Although, note, apparently the boot system has very much changed because he arrives in his jacket and is then assigned an outfit and identity disc instead of just showing up with one. 
the way his father did. So apparently system initialization for new programs or install is much more yeah. complex. I mean, he well, literally, he literally is put into a room and, uh, his, uh, his uniform is applied to him. I'm just install. I'm just assuming those four ladies in the glowing white room are like install wizard. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, we've detected a Sam Flynn on your system, which you like to optimize settings. Well, I think maybe he's a fundamentally different thing inside this new system than Kevin Flynn was in the original. Mm-hmm. Kevin Flynn was a essentially a person turned into a simulacrum of a program inside the grid that Sam finds himself, I think Sam is specifically a simulation of a human being. Oh, okay. And I think those are fundamentally different. That makes a lot of sense. And that kind of explains one of the other things that we see later, in that we, we see that he bleeds when programs don't bleed. Well, yeah. Unlike his dad in the old system, he's not a program. He's a simulated human being. Good point. But he is pulled just like his dad onto the game grid onto the, into the games. And he's after being picked up by a recognizer, which and, very much more sensibly now can sink down on its legs. <laughs> and the recognizers in the original Tron were cool. The recognizers in Tron legacy are really badass. Oh yeah. Very impressive. It's an, it's, it's one of the best examples of taking a trope from the original and making it darker and more intense and it working. Mm-hmm. really well there's a lot of wonderful use in the costume and design and uh aesthetics of this of strip led lighting lots of strip led lighting but it's fun i gotta admit there is so much of my personal like environment aesthetic like how i want to decorate rooms and such that seems to i, I I've, I've had to admit it it's a strange mix of uh the pc game riven and tron legacy thrown into a blender (laughs) and it comes out with a lot of wood grain with strip leds but i think it works now i thought about doing that for the the original tron i just could not make myself sufficiently grainy and high contrast (laughs) so i never really fit but that's another difference here and, and something that i kind of miss is the fact that the look of the computer world in tron legacy it's all about lighting and design and costuming. It doesn't seem to me to be shot in a fundamentally different way, the way the computer world in the original Tron was. You look at any frame from uh, the original movie from the computer world, you know this is a different world. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get that, I think, in Tron Legacy. There isn't that distinction. Now, again, it's... This was designed by Kevin Flynn to be a realistic simulated world. But movie-wise, it kind of misses something. I like movies that find cinematography methods to convey different worlds, like the slight different color filters in the different worlds in The Matrix, for example. A lot of the things inside the world are given a slight glossy film to it. Yeah. Even even the people and there's a lot more of a dusty on the uh, in the real world. I guess is the closest we've got there, but that's still a little bit more environmental tactile than it is cinematography. Yeah, it's so. more it's more design than cinematography. It, it, has, yeah. it has has some similar effect, but still. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll absolutely give it that that it 
they should have done something interesting with the camera. I mean, a little bit of screen tearing glitch effect even every once in a while could have been not too disruptive in the right moments. Yeah, something like that. Or um, just, you know, show obviously short idle animation loops for background characters. Things oh, yeah. like that. If if it was if it was done a little soon a little later, I think you could have had some wonderful stuff with the uh, ability to offset the red green blue layer as you move out to the edges, so that the edges oh. of the screen would have a little bit of dithering from the, those two going away from each other, and the center would be more in focus of those. But they didn't quite have that camera tech ready. Yeah. Yet. So um. So yeah, I mean, it is clear that it's a different world, just mm-hmm. not cin- in terms of cinematography. But uh, again, just as in the original, this is where most of the movie takes place, is in this computerized world mm-hmm. where, where Sam is selected to be put onto the gaming grid. And Sam is brought to the gaming grid and is assigned his identity disc, which have a new look now. They're not Frisbees. Yeah, they're, uh, they're like um, hoops. Yeah, they're chakram. They're still kind of Frisbee-ish, but yeah, they're chakram. Yeah, they, they get glowing blue edges and they still do all the zippy things but they're also a little bit more pugilistic in terms of the fact that you can hold one and punch <laughs> someone yeah they're kind of round lightsabery in that sense i'll admit yeah they're round lightsabers <laughs> i would rather take an identity disc over a lightsaber though that's just personal preference <laughs> but still and i'm imagining a lightsaber with an identity disc as a as a a guard <laughs> on it and that kind of works that would be a whole like That'd be a look going on. I might have to, I might have to duct tape some uh, children's toys together later. Uh, but he, the, the, the whole grid battle is very different. It's much quicker paced, but we get, we get the, we get the disappearing floors from the highline mixed with the, uh, the disc battle. Yeah. It's like they jump, right? The, the disc battles in the original were kind of the impromptu street fighting and the games were more structured. And here it's, well, identity disc battles are the game. We just put it into a, a place with variable gravity and disappearing floors. And we get a cool series of battles and a couple of like watching other fights go down so that we see what de-resolution looks like and what the dangers are. And it ends with this fight between Sam and Rinsler. This strange program with two identity discs. Uh, and that's the point in which he gets hurt and bleeds and Rinsler stops when he notices that because something's off. But the announcement of I'm Sam Flynn and the audience gasps and is astounded and he is sent to meet whoever's running the games. Mm -hmm. And it's Clue, who is played by youngified Jeff Bridges. If you thought you got a lot of Jeff Bridges in the original, you get twice as much Jeff Bridges in legacy but i'm going to be very honest previously we had pre big lebowski jeff bridges i believe (laughs) this is very clearly post big lebowski jeff bridges there's a lot of dude in a lot of the jeff bridges in this movie i think oh yeah in the in the the jeff bridges that we meet later on oh absolutely yeah and a little bit in clue yeah i guess I, I was like, Clue just seemed like the laid back guy that Kevin Flynn had been. I guess so. Who was kind of proto dude in his own way. 
Yeah, he's tech dude. <laughs> but not tech bro, tech dude. Very different things. Very different things. But uh And you're as you were saying before, the fact that he's computer de-aged makes him look a little bit unreal in a way that kind of does what I was asking for before. Give me some visual way to really intuit that this is a different world. Mm-hmm. But Clue has been rebuilt and reprogrammed by uh, Kevin to be a an architect in this world. Yeah. To help and, build it into a perfect system. So I don't think this is the same Clue anti-security program that we see at the beginning of the original movie. And this one has a, a as back-engineered uh, uh, meaning for his name. He's codified likeness utility. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, you're working real hard to reuse the name Clue, aren't you? I've already got a folder on the main menu. <laughs> don't, don't give me any guff about it, Alan. But yeah, he was built to work with Kevin Flynn to create this new world. Really cool moment. I think it's later in the film that we see it, but Clue was programmed from inside the system. He wasn't programmed outside and then, like, Kevin went in to meet him. No, Kevin, like, did this whole kneel on the ground and, like, pull up this glass screen. And then the the mirror image of himself in the glass is this other person who is kind of has his purpose explained to him. And he suddenly, like, lights up as himself as a different person now. And the metaphor there is great in that it's he, um, Kevin Flynn built this new grid, and it's not just an environment, but it's also embedded into everything is this software development kit to build more of this environment and to populate it. Yeah. Well, Which, when you think about it, that's you could see a universe with physics is kind of like that. Absolutely. But he's, he's working alongside Tron pulled from the original system as this arbiter of security and peace on the network. You know, Kevin as the, the visionary and clue as the architect and the three of them are going to build this safe and secure little perfect world for people. Now, what exactly was this world supposed to be? An answer to hunger, overpopulation, medicine, a lot of things. It was kind of a, a universal human condition booster, I thought. So people were supposed to, like, we were supposed to use this as a place in which to invent things, or people were supposed to leave the physical world and come in here, Greg Egan, science fiction novel style. More the second, from what I understood, how much you're supposed to live there permanently, or if this is like, uh, come to the tech hospital, which takes up the size of a small living room, but we just digitize everybody and heal their illnesses and then de-digitize them out. Or if you're supposed to go buy yourself an apartment on uh, a a stick of of uh, RAM memory, I don't know. Yeah, that was how this and and you know maybe the answer is who knows. Maybe like a lot of people who get obsessed with an invention, they start to lose sight of what's the point of this invention, and they just become obsessed with the act of inventing. We do learn that the entire original idea got a little thrown out the window over time but that's a separate part of the story but initially we've got this this three beings building this world 
But now Sam's shown up and Tron is gone. His dad is gone. And Clue is pulling MCP (laughs) 2.0. And so we get youngified Jeff Bridges just like, I'm going to now kill you. (laughs) But I'm going to do so as a spectator sport. Who wants light cycles? And there's one critical difference here in between Clue and the MCP, though, and that the MCP was trying to stamp out the cult of the user and promote the belief that the users did not exist and we are all there is. Clue promoted the idea that, yeah, the users are there. They may have put us here, but we should not be their servants. We should be independent. It was more about a a dictator promising independence through revolution. Yeah. And less a um a dictator promoting loyalty in part by promoting atheism. That's a good point. Yeah. And that becomes significant for the rest of the plot, the fact that no he Clue makes no bones about the fact that there are users, they just have to be overcome. Mm-hmm. So we get the light cycle fight, which no longer has the the half mark grid problem, but it does have multiple layers bike stunts. Yeah, there's no grid whatsoever. For a place where the whole place is called the grid, there's very little grid in the grid, and the light cycles are just driving all over the place. I, it's a fun scene. Oh, but it is. It is. I mean, it is wacky and weird, and <laughs> that's where we get to hear them called jet trails. Or jet walls. Jet walls, yeah. Jet walls. You make, run them into your jet walls. It's like, oh, cool, that has a name now. <laughs> also, um, new light cycles start as a umbrella stick and turn into handlebars in a very cool, like, build the thing out. They're really loving the fact that they actually have CGI to do a Tron movie now. <laughs> yeah, and that's... In some ways, that may be why it just looks so normal, because, yeah, it's CGI, big deal. But it is really good CGI. It is good I love CGI. the look of it. I love the way that it's all... The way things construct themselves and behave in the grid is very consistent, functionally and visually, and it really works well. Mm-hmm. But we get the whole light cycle fight, and it turns in the end to just, uh, I think, Clue versus Sam again. All the other programs who were in the same battle wind up eliminated in equal turns or something and then we get a reversal instead of breaking out through the wall from the inside something breaks in from the wall from through the wall from the outside this time it's a giant light cycle car this is like the least explained and one of the coolest props in the movie i think it's like the monster truck of light cycles the monster truck of light cycles who busts in kool-aid man style uh, the person inside tells Sam to get in. He does so a little awkwardly. And then they leave. And it turns out this is Quora. Quora, played by uh, Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde, playing, let, let's just be honest, kind of a mani- manic pixie dream program. I, I suppose, yeah. She, she's pretty dark, but yeah. But yeah, yeah she's, she's kind of a... <sighs> I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed she becomes just a MacGuffin later. In some ways, story-wise, she's yeah. got agency early on, but it it fades over time. She starts out much more self-directed, as you say, with a lot more agency, a lot more of an interesting character, and then she becomes 
as you say, a MacGuffin and also a follower. Yeah. She initiates far less action as the movie goes on. So I think that's, it's disappointing to see that trajectory for this character. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of an apprentice character to out in the mountain top base, the original creator of this all, Kevin Flynn. He's still there. He's, He's been stuck in the grid all this time. And his entire place has the white aesthetic the original Tron had, but done in the new Tron legacy style. And yet it doesn't have all of the, uh, the blue neon tracing that, uh, that the original Tron look seems to have to me. No, it's got, it's got a silver kind of to it's, replace the blue. It's Not. more like that scene towards the end of 2001. Oh, you're right. Where the ancient uh, um, Bowman uh, sees himself. Mm-hmm. And remember how in the original movie, the multiple almost days of journey and such happened in the span of a couple minutes? Kevin's been in here a while. Yeah. It's been 20 years from Sam's point of view on the outside. How long has this been from Flynn, Kevin Flynn's point of view on the inside? Yeah. He's, he's been here a long time on his perspective. More than a lifespan. Oh, Yes immortal as far as we can tell i mean he's aged and yet he has reached this kind of indeterminate old sage kind of look and level and who knows how many centuries from his point of view he's been like that absolutely he doesn't even he's he's confused the fact that quora has brought someone back at first doesn't get a lot of visitors i think spends a lot of time meditating a lot of time meditating and eating food? Yep. That's, that's an odd thing that's new. There's food in this world now. Now, but again, it is designed. What we're seeing is not a metaphor of what happens in a computer anyway. What we're seeing is something designed for people to go into. So yeah, food is part of the human experience. You'd program food into it. That's one thing I've got to acknowledge. Tron Legacy is a Tron movie post The Matrix. Yes. And that is kind of an influence here. The inside of a computer is a lot more action badly than it used to be, and is a lot more simulated stakes and metaphors than it used to be. And uh, even the original pitch, there was complaint about it being too matrixy, apparently. Well, and and I wouldn't even say the I'd say the original was more metaphor, and the newer one is more just pure representation. Yeah, the car isn't a metaphor for some kind of data transport mechanism that exists because the computer uses it. The car is a simulation of a car because we want a car in our simulated world. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the problems with the, the legacy grid is that it's a world designed for people, which means that it's got a lot of unnecessary stuff for the people to use. Yeah. And there again, I might be more interested in the metaphor for what really already exists approach of the original Tron. But once I accept that this is a different story in a different setting, I can go with it and really enjoy Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. We get the meeting of the two, which is nice. We get a a whole you know, father-son reunion. And then Tron Legacy becomes Tron again. <laughs> As literally it becomes a, we've got to get to the place. Now it's the exit door instead of the MCP. And we'll do so, having escaped the game grid, by running to a place to get a thing, 
Namely, in this place, instead of the IO Tower, it's the End of Line Club, full of uh, useful information and crazy characters and a gunfight. And then we'll hop a solar sailor and fly back. It becomes the same narrative again. It does. It it has that same structure, but it is has more fiddly bits. It's more complicated mm-hmm. by the espionage machinations and double crosses and things like that. And there's really cool, fun character played by Michael Sheen. Oh yeah, uh, as a proprietor of the End of Line Club. But it, you're right. It's like the same structure with a lot more filigree story wise. In the original story, they got to the IO tower and the sage there took convincing, but gave them what they needed and they were able to leave. Now they arrive at a place they're welcomed freely and told they'll be given the thing. And now machinations mean that there's a double cross and a laser fight and multiple dead programs (laughs) and they get something, but they lose something because now the bad guys have Flynn's, pretty much all access key identity disc and our heroes have back the information and the resources they need to be able to get hopefully to where they're going. But there's also one key element that we see in the midst of that fight where we've got all these programs fighting against one another in this big battle inside the nightclub where while Daft Punk plays really cool music and then Kevin Flynn shows up Oh, yeah. The creator shows up. And he essentially gets mad, touches the floor, and everybody's thrown to the sides. He has power in this world. And it's almost an extension of the kind of power that we see him learn that he has as a user in the original Tron. Mm -hmm. This is, not only does he know how to use this more, but he built this world consciously and intentionally. Yeah, he can do a lot in this world when he puts his mind to it. He could he could move a single solar sailor over a line before. An impressive, impossible feat. Now he can just literally disrupt and reset a room. He can <laughs> control, alt, delete a place if he has to. And clearly there are limits, though, especially when it comes to Clue, which is the program that he made as close to himself as possible. So that's why he can't just use these superpowers to defeat Clue. But but it's interesting to see that when he chooses to get involved in the world again, he has these capabilities. Mm-hmm. And this is also, unfortunately, where Quora just becomes a MacGuffin because it's because re- she gets hurt, but she doesn't de-res. And we learn that that's because she's not a program. She's a IO. No, an ISO. An ISO. She's a being that generated organically out of the chaos of the system and here again iso means something in the craft and science of computers and yeah. programming they're just using it because it sounds cool they're just okay using it sounds cool. go with it yeah but this is a whole like in the middle of him trying to build this world for people these people outside of the system just generated and showed up so he built his new grid with sufficient complexity that a new life form emerged from it. And now he's building a world for programs, people, and ISOs. And that's a little bit too much for Clue to take. <laughs> so Clue six the guy six his guys on Tron. Kevin runs off to uh the mountains with a small group of ISOs. Now 
Kor is the only one left of them because of a the purges that Clue has been doing to remove this chaotic random element from his perfect system. And that's really key. You can it's it's a classic story kind of what sends Clue off on this path. He was instructed to create the perfect system. Well, that must mean it has to be orderly. That must mean it has to be controlled. How can it be perfect? How can it be perfect if random things are happening and these new life forms are just emerging with no nobody's say so? So it's I my purpose for existing is to bring about perfection. The only way to achieve perfection is authoritarianism. Which is scary and terrifying. And makes Clue an interesting villain character in the way it plays out, because Clue is Clue's idea of what his job is is getting more and more twisted over time. And yet somewhere his per his his motivation for all of it is to do what he's been told to do by his creator, as he understands it. He um, he Which has, is, a, you know, he, a lot of people in history have done what they thought their creator wanted them to do, and it did not turn out well for them or anybody else. In, in, a, in a parallel to the MCP, the MCP wanted no one to acknowledge that the users existed, but he was in constant communication with the users. Clue wants all of these programs to reject and think the users are not worth the, the effort. While constantly being, while constantly doing everything he's doing with a strange reverence to the command he was given by the user who made him. This overly loyal, devout following to this god figure, him that he's created, to the point where he will have everyone else say gods aren't worth it. <laughs> and, and we also learn as this uh, kind of in the one of the next phases of this straightforward adventure story that his goal is his his what he has decided that he needs to do is not just to make this system this grid perfect why should it stop here my creator kevin flynn made the portal between the grid and his world two-way so that he could leave but now that we've got his disc we can leave and we can leave and bring our power and our ability to impose order out into the quote-unquote real world, into the higher realm. We're going to storm heaven. And he is building an army. He is converting programs into that and building an army. And now it's a race between... Before, it was a race to the MCP to, well, let's just say it, kick him in the butt. <laughs> now it is a race to the gate between an army and our heroes in order to shut the door before the army can get out. And it's a very, that's, that's a very different narrative. And the, the back and forth machinations kind of slow down now that we've got everything. There's still one big twist reveal left, but at this point, the action movie takes hold more mm -hmm. during the race section. Once again, the solar sailor is the slow part. Yeah. Again, and again, they use it for some key dialogue to sort of, process everything we've learned before heading into the final act but yeah, it slows things down i'm gonna go knock on the sky and listen to the sound i love that line that is still one of the most amazing lines it is it's such an interesting um description of meditation also yeah and something else we learned there because it's on the solar sailor that uh they're de helping um uh, cora who's been injured 
And again, kind of like on the Solar Sailor in Tron, we see Kevin Flynn heal her. Mm -hmm. But now it's not just he lays on hands. He actually pulls code out of her being and examines it and finds the the corrupt data and there it's kind of a it's it's suddenly it's more metaphoric his surgery that he's performing is really finding code that has altered her original code and, and putting her original logic structure back together yeah he pulls it out and like twists it and it turns into a little butterfly that flies away and then the code rebuilds itself while and she literally we watch as her identity disc like starts a little like loading bar light sequence as she reboots and she grows an arm back yeah it's like and it makes sense if she is emergent from this system that has its own development kit built into every aspect of it mm mm-hmm. mhm I'm just imagining if a different program that wasn't algorithmically generated like she is had gotten hurt. The idea of like, okay, his his environmental has gone. His eye got hurt. Just like, someone else come over here. It's like, okay, open you up, copy <laughs> file, insert file, grows another eye. Because duplicating in that sense. But it wouldn't generate on its own the same way. And a great part of the visualization there, you pointed this out in our most recent uh, watch of this, where we're kind of one of the visualizations of her code that Flynn is examining looks like DNA, but a triple helix. That was a good catch, and that was fascinating. Yeah, there like- is the suggestion that the ISOs have things to contribute to the health and growth and betterment of, of humanity out, out in the real world. Mm hmm. They're more than ju- they. They are. They're. We talked in the original about the idea of you know Kevin coming to understand programs as people. Now there's another entire group of people as well that are unique in their own right from programs and humans, but they all can give benefits to each other because the programs have a a resiliency in their their purpose, their mentality. The humans have a vision. The ISOs have an adaptability. There's there's all things that can be put together as a group there. Yeah, you can look at the original distinction as a, a program is a program because it has been programmed. Mm-hmm. A person is a person, a user, because it has not been programmed, but it has the ability to create programs. And the ISOs are something completely different. They haven't been programmed, and yet they are not users, and I don't know if they can create programs. Yeah. But the by the end, the entire race for the gate, I mean, I'm going to skip over a bunch of dramatic air battle stuff here. Which is cool. There's not much to describe, but it's a pretty cool action sequence. Although we do get the big reveal, the henchman Rinsler that Clue has been sicking on everyone this entire time with his two identity discs is Tron, <laughs> which you would have noticed immediately from the start, because he's got the dang four little boxes on his chest. <laughs> it's one of those, like, you can see it coming yep. from a mile away, but it's still cool. It's, it's, it's a, an Easter egg, not particularly well hidden, but an Easter egg. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, we see this whole fight scene where he grabs another program that's coming after him as he gets taken over, and the other program's identity disc, like, sinks to him. And now he is both himself 
and what he has been forced to become. He's got two identities. I am yeah. two people, so I've got two discs. But he kind of reclaims his final, like, I fight for the user's original purpose at the end and kicks Clue a little, but not enough to make sure that he doesn't show up for the big final dramatic reveal. But uh, it ends with Sam getting out and Quora getting out. But Kevin sacrifices himself to kind of reabsorb Clue and acknowledge the failure of the system and blow up in a giant ball of light. Little I a little odd there, but it ends with this whole lot of possibility and this story is ended and Sam has kind of come to Sam's whole quest gets weird. Sam's a little flat of a character compared to Kevin Flynn. But he goes from being jaded and unhappy to being accepting of what his dad was doing but still upset to being a person thinking about what this could be for others instead of just himself. Yeah, Kevin, uh, excuse me, uh, Sam doesn't really drive the plot because he doesn't start the movie with any goals. In some ways, that's the defining part of his character. Kevin Flynn in Tron had a very specific goal in the beginning of the movie and very specific things that were standing in his way. Sam Flynn at the beginning of this movie was just a disaffected guy in his 20s who was angry because his father disappeared years ago and didn't want anything to do with the company that uh, uh, that he owned and all the money that he had. He didn't even know there was the possibility of any kind of uh, uh, reunion with his father, so that was not a motivation. He was He was in some ways a tool of the plot, but everybody around him, including Quora, at least at the beginning, including Kevin Flynn when we meet him, at least towards the end of the movie, and Clue throughout the movie, those were the people who had goals and motivations that really drove the plot. If anything, I guess Sam learns the that dwelling on his internal pain didn't lead to anything good, but thinking about others and how he can help them is is where he can gain some sense of peace. Yeah, he, he definitely grows, and he's a character who changes. He... It seems to me that he's just growing and changing because of the plot that other characters have pulled him through. Yeah, he's he, he's extruded into a protagonist proof <laughs> mold. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but he, it, it ends with this dramatic scene of Sam and Quora riding off on the, the bike into the sunrise and implying all the potential in future. Sam has downloaded the entire grid onto a little chip that he wears as a necklace, and the, the, the future is wide open now. And, again, the fact that he can do that, it's kind of cool, the fact that he has this world, and therefore his father, if his father is still alive in there somewhere, with him at all times, and yet the fact that 20 years later he can take what was in this you know, big boxy uh, computer that he found in his father's office and put it on a device that's running while it's hanging around his neck. To me, that seems to lower the stakes in some ways. Yeah. Because it's now it's just a thing. And if it's just this simulation, then we start to get into simulation theory of, we can make an indefinite number of copies of this. Mm-hmm. And change parameters, see which one turns out best. 
Yeah, it becomes a weird problem. Yeah. At least in the um in the original Tron, the system that all these programs lived in, no human had set out to design it as a system. It's just emerged from the way that they used computers. Programs, at least in Tron, have more agency than they do on their own. So I wonder if changing parameters on the simulation on the on that level would change the people enough to really create things, or does every if you were to somehow take the exact same parameters and run again, would the agency that individuals inside a computer have in the Tron world mean that there are still other variables you do not have control of to be able to change? I guess. It's a, it's a question. Yeah. But we've kind of summarized the film, and you can hear how much I love this thing. It's not the same. It's very different movie. But it's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So, does that mean time for final questions? I think so. And I'm going to ask you, screen or no screen? Screen. Screen. Yep. Yep. It, not, I, I, it does not mean to me the same things that the original Tron mean to me. Although, going, getting, getting to take you to see it at the midnight premiere, that's a great memory, and, and I love it for that reason, if nothing else. But yeah, it's, it's screen. It's a fun movie. It's worth seeing. It's, it's, it's visually interesting. Um. I would recommend it. I think Tron Legacy on its own is a fun to screen action movie. Tron Legacy, after having just seen Tron within the last, I don't know, week or whatever you think your your time frame is for yourself, is then an intriguing dive into the concept. But it's screen either way, in my opinion. Yep. And the, our second question then is, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Well, I guess that, well, a reboot would mean a reboot of the entri- entire Tron concept. Yes. And revive Tron-cept. would mean <laughs> the Troncept. Revive would mean more stories in the continuity that now includes both Tron and Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. I would be interested in a reboot. But at this point, having seen both of these, I'm probably more interested in revival. Yeah. There's still enough complexity here, enough that's interesting, and, and also enough difference that I've now come to accept, enough difference between the two movies. It implies a, a broader landscape in which to tell stories. I might be interested in a reboot, excuse me, in a, in a revival that takes place in the same continuity, but is again set in a computer world that was not designed and intended as a simulation, but is just a world in which programs live based upon the way that they they outwork and the way that the system is set up. Absolutely. I there is talk that there's going to be another Tron movie. There's talk that there's going to be a third and more and they're going to go for the franchise. They're they're making a a ride in one, in the parks. They are trying to build Tron as a franchise again. But I'm really hoping that we get a revival. I don't want to I don't want another movie. They've got Disney Plus. I want an anthology series. There's a lot of interesting little mm. stories here. I want to see a small story with the submarine narrative of the programs living on a phone <laughs> where they, 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 they sync up with a home base and then they go out getting radio signals back and forth and such. But then they go into a tunnel and all of their radios go off. And now they're in silence. And you can have some fun with that. That could be fun. I yeah. want. I want to see the. I want to see the story of a program whose entire 
a, a group of programs whose life are that they are like webcam automated, their facial recognition and such. They watch the user's world all day long. They've learned how to watch for people's eyes and all of this. But they are people who see the user's world all the time now. And what's that like for them? This window into this world where the things that made us live. <laughs> like, There's a lot of cool stories they can tell in a modern yeah. Tron setting. And I think an anthology series would be more interesting than trying to maintain one more long-standing narrative. Play with your concept more instead of just trying to tell more action stories. Story-wise, I like the big epic stories we've gotten in Tron because they imply such a, a scope for the worlds in which they're set. But to explore concepts, yeah, that could be fun. So I'm more interested in more epic features, but I would be interested in that kind of an anthology to get these interesting little clips. And um, why not both? <laughs> why not both? Yeah. And, you know, we watched a bit of the animated series um, Tron Uprising. Yeah. Which was, came out like, around the time of, uh, of Tron Legacy. It seemed okay. Uh, maybe I'll go back and watch more of it at some point. It didn't grab me as much as the, uh, uh, the movies did, partly because the stories seemed smaller. Mm -hmm. but, and we, they seemed smaller without really exploring new concepts. But um, but yeah, I would I would be interested in seeing more Tron stuff. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for us for this time. Uh, where can they find you online, Dad? Oh, you can find me most places as by Matthew Porter. So on Twitter at by Matthew Porter, uh, on Twitch at by Matthew Porter uh, at by Matthew Porter dot com. And you can find me as item crafting on Twitter and YouTube and item crafting live on Twitch. Uh, you can also find the podcast itself as the IMM Project on Twitter. No, uh, IMMP Cast. IMMP on Cast and and IMMProject.com. IMMProject.com. I got that mixed up there, but we'd love to hear from you. Uh, join our Discord and be able to chat with us and tell us about your Tron interactions and. If you, like me, regret not buying one of the plastic uh, <laughs> identity discs when Legacy was new in theaters, uh, you can uh, chat with us on Twitter and even take a look at our Patreon, where we uh, have all sorts of other bonus content available. Check out our shop if you like mugs and t-shirts and such. Yep, you'll see links to all of that at immproject.com. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back in another two weeks with probably more media from the 20th century when dad takes back over and uh, in the meantime go look for some old things to watch <laughs>